0: What is our connection and how do you feel about it? Our connection is we are co-authoring beautiful lives. You're my, you know, yeah, Kev, you're my brother. You're my, my friend, soulmate, or whatever you want to call that. I feel that we have grown a lot together in the the last whatever decade that we've known each other and we've acted as a sounding board and a friendly conversation to help us advance who we want to be and how we want to carry out our, our lives in the world and I'm exceptionally grateful for our friendship.
1: You are listening to Connected Journeys. My name is Kevin and I am very excited to be bringing you this new audio project where I invite people who both inspire me and that I feel closest to, to share their stories. And in that, I hope to show what makes them so special. And in that process, help us discover what we all share in common those aspects of our humanity that help us be our fullest selves in the world. Thank you for joining me on this journey. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Brandon Boyd, one of my closest friends who I've known for over a decade and who continues to inspire me to this day by the incredible things that he does to serve the world And the ways that he shows up for himself and others in his pursuit of becoming a better person. Putting this put together, I've been reflecting a lot actually on how much space is created for hearing other people's stories, right? Like I feel like when I think about you, I think about Amanda or whoever else, I get these snapshots, like I get, you know, hear about moments from the past or about things that happened. And again, I'm sure this will be similar in that there's going to be like an array of moments or windows of time, but like, what does it look like to just like sit? and bring that all together and try and see a fuller picture you know and yeah for me i just thought it would be interesting to have that space available to connect in that way and and just get to know people i care about better and then if other people find that interesting cool that's really first and foremost a project for me and hopefully for the people who are participating hopefully you and everyone else i talk to will get just as much value from reflecting on these things and yeah the connected journeys part is like how we Kind of see the past through life and how we move through them is in relationship with each other like i think that's where and that's a part of adult learning too is like how we gain perspective and how we gain like new opportunities is through contrast, contrasts through openings that are created when a new relationship or an existing relationship opens up space for for something new to emerge and so yeah that's where i've been for the last little bit i would love to hear who is brandon in December of 2022?
0: Well, Kev, you know that I don't believe in the integrated, unified self. So, uh, I mean, I am a lot of things to give you a sense of what I think about or or occupy my time with. I've really been enjoying being, uh, an excellent brother. So my sister, Jamie moved in here in, in September. So we've had uh, a few months together. And it's been really lovely, like given my chosen field of work and, and you know, passions for, for exploring the world and, and working in different places. I haven't really been in one place for very long in the last decade. So being able to be geographically situated in one place in the unceded, ergo stolen Algonquin Anishinaabe territory otherwise known as the city of Ottawa, I have had a, an opportunity to really take a pause and, and to develop a connection with um, the space here. And that's opened the doors to be a little bit more well-rounded. And so first and foremost, like it's been lovely to to be, um, you know, just a good brother and, and a good roommate to my sister. And we've been really enjoying that downtime together. You know, I was really excited when she planned on moving to Ottawa. But you know, it's always. I don't necessarily want relationships to be based just on events or things we do together, but just having time together and and living together has really opened that. So that's been lovely. Um, I am recently single, so that's been top of mind. I broke up with my partner of of over three years, and you know, think the world of of JC and and our time together. Um, but it wasn't the long-term fit that was, you know, what we wanted. And so we've went our separate ways. And so that's kind of, you know, the big theme of this winter is coming to terms with that. Um, What does it look like to be on my own, especially after spending literally every second together of the last, you know, however long this pandemic has been. And so kind of just creating room for myself and, and trying to be gentle in this in this time frame. Uh, as always, I work in the humanitarian sector and uh, and do emergency management. Um, so I I work away at that. You know that takes up thirty five hours plus a week. So that's a big project that I care about. Um, and I'm really thrilled about the dynamic I've co-authored with my team and how we're able to get along. We recently designed and approved our yearly plan so it's really cool to like again stay somewhere build something and stick it out for a long duration so that's been lovely and and some of the changes that we're pushing are structural changes that need to get made and it's nice to sell a vision and to be able to introduce something that to a large group of very competent people and say you know, we've done great, we're doing great, but what's next? What's better? How do we push this to the next level and have like build that buy-in? I'm also an activist. I think that's probably the core of my being is an activist, somebody who honestly thinks the status quo is unacceptable um, and un- and just profoundly unfair. Um, and so being able to gather with other activists in Ottawa and Gatineau um, and we've finally kind of hit our cadence. You know, we're meeting at the right schedule, we've chosen our North Star where we're going, and now we're kind of just building a campaign. And it's really cool. My role is meant to put the right people together at the right time, point them in, in one direction, and then let them do it. And it's just been going like clockwork, so it's really been lovely to see. And then, yeah, like I'm me on myself. And I think that's something that's always top of mind is who is Brandon outside of all of these relationships and projects. Um, I'm somebody who highly identifies with what I accomplish and get antsy not existing in that way. Um, So I guess my relationship with myself is something um, I'm trying to put a little bit more time and effort into much as I can, and and having a a central place to live in and to build community has been helpful for that. And maybe one more thing I'll I'll add is I am uh, fortunate to be part of of a group called Masculinity Under Construction, which brings men together to talk about how the patriarchy ruins our lives, too, essentially, create space for that. And focus on ways we can build lives where we're happier and more accountable um, to those around us. And I've met just so many amazing human beings from that. And yeah, I guess the rest of the time I just try to, you know, keep in touch with with beautiful friends like you and and uh, and time outside or or you know, a lot of life is maintenance, so going to the gym and paying bills and you know, everything else.
1: When I think about what I've seen in your life uh change over the last few years obviously like getting settled in ottawa and having that space to cultivate a whole new set of relationships has been really powerful and i really want to explore those different parts of your life today and and kind of what how each of them emerge and what are the roots and the seeds that um, they stem from really curious first though to probe into brandon the activist because i've known you like you've always been very vocal in your values and your beliefs you're someone who commits to doing hard work sometimes maybe too hard (laughs) i'm glad you take moments to to take breaks in your life now and enjoy things that aren't just work all the time but i knew you for a long time where that was so much a big part of who you are and i'm just curious about where that's comes from like where what are the roots of activist brandon like i would love to for you to describe like what are the feelings like when you think about what drives that in you like where what are the feelings that underpin that and where do you think those feelings originate
0: honestly it's anger and i know that that is not the the sentiment i wish pushed me forward like i think love of community or this, like, the the de, de vivre, uh, to want to, to live the flourishing community, things like that. But I think I became an activist um, as a young person. I grew up with parents who I think, you know, did their best in trying circumstances, but only had children because they were they were on autopilot and it just happened and they weren't necessarily, you know, committed to what it took to be a parent or to put their children, you know, top of mind. And I I was growing up in, you know, soulless suburbia living very isolated from any sense of family or community or, or anything like that. And I think I always recognize that, well, this can't be it. Like something is off, you know, this is not how humans were meant to, to function and to thrive. And then, you know, more or less by happenstance, like I grew up listening to, to kind of more alternative music. Like I think like as a young person from like 10 to 13, a lot of emo or, or things like that. But when I was around 13, 14, um, I got exposed to punk music. And that sense of, you know, the generic white guy being angry, like I could really relate to that. And I was fortunate to be um, exposed to music where there was actually really good values behind what these people were saying. So bands like Anti-Flag or Rise Against um, or, you know, similar music that I was exposed to. I really liked. I really liked the energy. And I started to look into like what are these people talking about? what are what are they comp- you know why are they so angry? what's going on here? Um, and that really led me down the rabbit hole of learning a little bit more about how the world functions, how it is definitely not this uh, you know there's not this just system where everything is fair for everybody and um, the government's doing its best for you. like they very much exposed, the inherent racism and sexism and classism that exists in our world. And that, for me, really, I just never looked back. I became an activist right away. Like, at that point, I became involved, you know, as best as I could. Again, like, living where I lived, and and, and especially in, you know, Alberta, it's not the easiest context, because there's not an on-ramp for... Anything to do with leftist thinking or progressive thinking or or social groups like that. It's not really an easy path to follow, but I knew that I was home. I knew that what people were speaking about is something that I related to. Yes, the, the songs, you know, made me angry. It gave a, a place for my anger, but it made me feel seen that I wasn't broken because I was upset. You know, it was actually normal for For a young person to be upset that their parents aren't there for them or there's no real sense of community or you know all of these other things that we're we're starting to learn about at that age you know um how the the world functions and and how it is now it just allowed me to feel seen in that and and that i wasn't broken but the system was broken and i think music gave me um, a way to understand and process those feelings
1: can you paint me a picture? You are first starting to come across this music. Something's resonating with you. You mentioned a little bit about your life in the suburbs and your family. What were you doing with your time? And when did these changes start happening? Like around what years? And like, where, how did they start? Like, do you remember how some of this music got introduced to you? And, um, and then yeah, how did you engage with the music? Like, what did that look like in terms of your time?
0: I became musically aware, you know, beyond like the radio around age ten, and that was when my parents split for the last time. So their relationship was always very tumultuous, but that was the kind of final separation. And due to those heavy feelings, like emo music, immediately resonated. My cam forever, like I still even you know today, that band resonates the most. That music is largely, it drives the the hard feelings inward. That can be helpful, you know, allows you to process or, or just feel the feelings. But from that, like adjacent bands, I think the first one was Rise Against. So, you know, it wasn't too, too far of a jump, you know, somewhat mainstream, but not really at that point, at least. But Yeah, I remember Rise Against and I remember some of their early music talking about like environmental issues, and that's was something that I was interested in. And then I think, like like many young people, it was an identity, right? It was, oh, well, I can copy and paste this, and then that's who I am, and that answers all my, you know, teenage angst. And so I don't know what that says about me that I haven't changed literally much about myself since I was fifteen. But yeah, once I heard the music about the environment and music talking about the effects uh, of you know wars that are happening and the refugees or or all these many, you know, all the problems that we're familiar with, but spoken about in a way that resonated with me as a young person. It just, again, like it felt like home and I started dressing much more punk or, you know, I'd wear like a, a fuck war shirt to high school or, you know, whatever, like I started reading and, you know, doing anarchist prints or whatever on my backpack or things like that. And like, I was in a position where I was very intelligent for the that age bracket i was a white male you know heterosexual i could get away with a lot of things and i think that mix where i was the profile that has a lot of power in society and i was intelligent enough to get away with a lot of things that other kids weren't i could have the best of both worlds like i could wear a fuck war shirt and then tell the teacher what would you support war like what are you talking about (laughs) or whatever um yeah, I think that period of my life was very difficult. I didn't feel any support from my parents who were, you know, both dealing with their own lives and and getting, you know, my mom got involved with somebody that I did not appreciate. Um, and, and then he was a big part of our lives for a while. So, yeah, I felt a lot of anger as a young person. I had good friends, but our friendship was based around athleticism and kind of just hanging out. We did better than most at that time in terms of telling each other we cared about each other, but no one ever taught us how to talk about our feelings or how to process emotion or how to deal with anything. So I think, like anybody, I was searching for meaning wherever I could get it. So, music, but also sports, also, you know, trying to date the hot girl at school or trying to, you know, go to the right party or whatever. And that was kind of my high school experience. Wasn't really sure on the next step. But I knew that things were messed up. And so obviously you're, you're young, you don't know what to do. But at least the fire got lit in those 15 to 18 sort of period. And there was a good launching pad for where I wanted to go for that. You mentioned your sister earlier, Jamie, one of the most important people in your
1: life. And so what does your relationship with Jamie look like at this period? So that
0: period, I was the default parent. So I definitely felt a lot of love for her, but mostly in a protective, I need to help this human being get through their life sense. You know, Jamie is four years younger, and so I did what I could to kind of shield her from some of the the chaos at our, our parental level. Yeah, like essentially, as soon as I had a driver's license, I would take her to basketball games, or if I had money, get more groceries for the house, or you know, give my dad extra cash to turn the heat on, things like that. We never, for the most part, had too much bickering or anything like that. Like, I don't think we were necessarily as close as we were now because it was much more in a survival mode sense. But yeah, I would characterize it as a suedo, like, parental relationship. Um, So obviously, I didn't have the competences or the resources to be a parent, but would show up to her basketball games and make sure she got home and had something to eat when she got there, you know? Like, yeah, I think that uh, uh, characterizes a lot. and. And my friends, you know, I was lucky to have good friends. You know, obviously life makes things challenging, and and a lot of them are still in Calgary. You know, if I saw them tomorrow, it would be like no time had passed, and I care deeply for them still. And I know that they're there for me. And on the friendship front, I've always felt quite lucky. As a young kid, I was you know had challenges with being bullied or whatever. But high school moving forward, uh, I've always had a good group around me, and and I've been grateful for that.
1: like that's such a hallmark of good friendship If you can you know like the strength of a connection you have with someone if you don't see them for a long period of time and then it just feels like no no time has passed as soon as you see each other and i wonder what it is that makes some relationships like that and others a little bit tenuous like they they don't survive that distance what do you think it is about you and your friends that allow for you to pick things up so easily when you see each other again and to, to maintain that love that you have for each other.
0: I think a, at least a, a significant portion is the amount of time we spent together. If I make a friend now, even if we're really good friends, maybe I'll see them you know, two hours, once, twice a month, whatever. So a dozen hours, you know, a couple dozen hours a year. But if I think of my high school friends, I spent four hours a day with them, you know, easily between sports and hanging out and socializing at lunchtime. So I think like that has a a great degree with it. Um, And some of these friends I'm speaking of, I knew even before high school, like from grade four, grade five onwards. So we, you know, we grew up together, we survived things together. And you have common reference points, right? Like You live through the same things in the same place at the same time. Um, So I think that's a lot of it. And then I think it ultimately comes down to, to will, you know, like how much space do people have in their lives? And, And so maintaining those connections is ultimately a choice. And if you decide that you're important to each other and try to make it work, that's amazing. And, you know, sometimes you, you don't have the space and you don't have the time. And I have a few friends like that. But yeah, I know if I saw them tomorrow, it would be, you know, like we love each other. Like they're my brothers. They're my they're my friends they're my family. Yeah, that's how it's always kind of been. And uh, it's nice having different types of friends, too. You know, like I think my high school friends hold a very dear part of my life. And there are friends that I wouldn't have met today. You know, we don't work in the same fields. We don't necessarily have the same interests. But I love them to death, and I'm I'm grateful for that. That I know friends and and who have totally different lives than I have, and I think that's a is a, a very important part of geography or you know growing up together. You're exposed to to folks that you wouldn't you know quote unquote like choose as an adult or have even an opportunity like my one good friend from from that time is an aircraft mechanic. The other one's an accountant. The third one's like a chef. Where am I going to meet a chef? It's just not really going to happen, right? Like, it, I don't meet many chefs in my life. I don't. I'm not in that industry. It's, but I know what he's all about and what he cares about and like who he is. And I, yeah, I think that's great.
1: I love that you grew up with such great friends, and that yeah, they continue to be friends today despite the fact that your life is taking you in different directions. You know, there's part of me that for myself at least, really values being in relationship with people from different walks of life and to have exposure to the ways that different people think and feel and act. But like, in reality, when I think about where I choose to focus my time as an adult, I tend to gravitate towards those people who are sharing similar values or intentions as I am and who helped me live in the ways that I want to live. And so, yeah, maybe like you, I don't think I'd have many opportunities now to be able to connect with um, people like a chef uh, and and learn from, from their uh, experience in the ways I might have been able to when I was younger. All that to say, I think something interesting coming to mind for me is this idea that if we know people for long enough and we have a chance to really see them change and grow, we see that kind of common thread that lies underneath all that change, like their, their humanity. And so, yeah, exposure allows us to see people in their wholeness, but we do live in a world where it's really easy to see people, just kind of on what's in the surface and carry a lot of judgment that comes with that. That either leads us to like distance ourselves or disconnect or dehumanize other folks. And yeah, I just think there's something there to think about that I find interesting about what it looks like to try to overcome, um, our, our, biases or overcome our judgments and be able to see more people, especially tra- strangers with that greater sense of humanity. Um, Cause that seems to be a, a, a real need right now. And so, yeah, I'm just wondering in thinking about your own experience, what comes up for you as I say that.
0: Yeah. I think you definitely get a sense of the full person um, and through friendships like that. Like, you're friends at a time where you don't know who you're going to be. Or it doesn't really matter in the same way. Like, you know, if I was good at math but my friend wasn't or my friend was good at science and I wasn't, whatever, like, it didn't really matter. Like, we were friends and on the team together and, and blah, blah. Um, yeah, I think the erosion of the town square or the ability to interact with other humans outside of your your immediate workplace um, or your immediate friend group has gone down significantly. Like, you know, we now order online or we keep to our, our small circles or you know, more than anything, I think as an adult friendship isn't valued. You're supposed to get your career going and then get your family going and the way that we go about that doesn't really leave room for friendship in any meaningful way. And then all the other opportunities where you would get to interact with folks in, you know, the town square or at a community event or, you know, in the marketplace, things like that. Like those spaces have been taken over by corporations or, or just taken away completely. And yeah, I think as you said, like, we're currently facing a lot of problems with that. And yeah, it's a great point. Like if I met the average aircraft mechanic who's coming off to me as a bit conservative, I would say more or less, like, get lost. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want any of this in my life. Whereas if my other friend who's a mechanic and says something a bit conservative, who I've known since I was 10 years old, I know he's a good person. I know that he cares about me. And... In a healthy way, because we've had many engagements and conversations before, I'd feel comfortable in challenging this individual or saying like, well, like, can we take that to the next step? Or like, what do you mean by that? Or did you think about this ramification? Yeah, very grateful for the friendships and, and connections I have in that age. And I said it as a little bit of a joke earlier, but honestly, I am who I was at 15. Like, I'm much healthier I'm much happier. My priorities are cleaner. But that anger that the system is broken, sorry, I'll rephrase. It's not broken. It's intentionally set up to exploit some groups over other groups. And that's where my activism comes from and still what gets me up in the morning. And I've been smart enough to build the other things around it because anger can drive you, but it will lead you ultimately in the wrong direction. So I try to center my activism now by building networks of people, tangible experiences with each other, you know, seeing the long game that it's not about winning this campaign tomorrow. It's about mobilizing a connected, committed group of activists and, you know, pulling them towards meaningful projects. But them existing is a win. Like the fact that these people know each other and work together, that is the goal. And so that's been really nice. And yeah, like being around people who care about the world in the way that you do, like is very fulfilling and, and lovely and, and, you know, being privileged enough to, to have some skills and knowledge that they find actually useful is, yeah, it's the best. Um, I love being an activist. And I think activism is the only way to drive forward change. You know, no one changes unless they have to. And activists create the conditions where they have to. For anyone who might be listening who
1: isn't an activist themselves or may not identify as such or don't really have to spend a lot of time around activists, like what is an activist to you? And like what 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 is essential to an activist? And like what does activism look like in different forms?
0: So I would like to maybe clarify or like start with, not clarify, but start with that activism comes in many forms and any white man telling you what activism, you should take that with a grain of salt, you know, as someone who inherently benefits from this very violent and colonial system, but, um, or maybe and, uh, and I would say that the way that I see activism is. I, as an activist, point out the values that we have agreed to stand by as a society, that, you know, these are the things that are important and here's what we're going to do. So as an activist, you might think, you know, there's two types of activists. There's activists who are pushing what can be possible. And then there's the activists who are saying, you've already said we should do this. Why aren't we doing it? Maybe as two major groups so activists pushing the frontiers of, you know, abolition. Do we need to live in a society with prisons or how are we going to live in a world without police and without violence as the major source of social control? That is one type of activism, which I love to the core of my being, but I don't partake in super meaningfully. Like I identify as an anarchist, but you know, I don't, throw Molotov cocktails at the police or or whatever the, the stereotype is. The type of activism that I'm passionate about is human rights activism. And in human rights activism, you have some degree of benefit compared to the other activists who are trying to build something that doesn't exist. For me, I say, okay, Canada, you've said that you value X, Y or Z human rights. You've signed up to these conventions. It's in your Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You know, you tweet about it on Twitter to to get likes amongst the youth or whatever you're doing. And I'm more the the activist who's sort of the saying, but we're not doing it. Like, you've said all these things, you've committed to all this, and look what the practice of what you're doing is. So we've, you know, our current um, campaign that we're working on Is about Canada's relationship with other countries and the industries we support in those other countries. So, for example, Canada is a global leader in extractive industries like oil, gas, mining. And we support these industries in countries such as Colombia. So, we say that we value human rights. We also then go and support these sorts of industries and if we look at the reality Colombia for example is the most dangerous place on the planet to be an environmental human rights defenders uh, defender so you have people indigenous people or you know other groups rural farmers you know the afro community in Colombia etc who are on the front lines just trying to defend their local environment so the river the quality of their water the quality of their land the quality of their air and a lot of them have been murdered or forced to leave or you know unjustly imprisoned things of this nature. And so for me my type of activism is saying we've signed up for human rights, we agree with human rights, we sell Canada as a human rights respecting nation and then we do x y and z which clearly violate human rights. And you know you start with polite conversations with these organizations who are doing these things and saying you know, you start with good assumptions, like oh, maybe they just didn't realize. And then once you really you come to know that they actually do know what they're doing, um, that's when you go with the name and shame tactics and saying, "We've said, they've said this. They're doing that. Are we okay with this difference?" And for me, that's what an activist is. An activist is that second group of activists is saying, "Are we okay with us being like this? Like, is this who we are?" And I think it's just bringing that conversation to people's dinner tables and saying, is this who we are? Is this the things that we support? Is this how we're going to carry ourselves in the world? Yes or no. And I think a lot of people, once they realize the truth of what's going on, say, well, that's not us. So for me, an activist, it might not sound as sexy as you might think, but it's just pointing out the obvious. Are we going to be able to live on a habitable planet? You know, do we want a society where one percent controls all the wealth and other people, you know, can't put food on their plates for their kids? Do we want to say we're a human rights defending nation, but indigenous communities in our own country don't have the water, you know, that you get in your own taps and, and living in a major city like? And so that's the activism that I focus on is asking people is this who you see yourself as you know are you proud that your tax money does this instead of you know something else and i think when you just lay out the facts and again like my sort of activism is research driven is like i'm an ideological person but my activism my official activism is not ideological in that sense it says We've signed onto this human rights committee or this treaty. We're not following it in X, Y, and Z ways, as proved by the research. And then we put it to the public. We personally think this is really messed up. Like, do you agree? What do you think? And I think that's also, you know, a tough question. Like, in my core, I am one of those abolitionists, or one that thinks we need to totally revamp top to bottom how we do society. But I dedicate my time to more. You know, I'm not trying to overthrow the system, but let's live by the values we said we would. Uh, that's a real tension that I experience in my activism, but one ultimately that I'm okay with. And one that I feel for myself, I have the most leverage to push. Yeah, so activism is everything from telling your uncle to stop saying racist things at the kitchen table to, you know, the folks in Fairy Creek saying... You know, know more of this. I'm going to put myself in front of the bulldozer to folks like myself who work on campaigns and trying to get policymakers to do what they said they would do. So activism is is a whole bunch of things, and uh, that's yeah, where I find myself in that that community. I'm
1: interested to unpack that section because I think it also will bring us back to a little bit of this life journey you've been on and and how that weaves into your story because. When I met you in university, as I mentioned earlier, like you're this this super hardworking person. You're not just doing your degree, but you're also working towards a, a logistics certificate. You're also going the extra mile and doing an honors thesis to set yourself up for grad school and working at the same time with the mustard seed and just have so much going on. And it was quite striking in terms of just your level of work ethic and your level of work, how did you hone in on this field of focus coming out of your angsty teenage days and you're listening to this music and what are the next steps that you're taking in to the point where, you know, we meet in a development studies class one morning and I aggravate you from the first moment.
0: No, you're great. I just, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, great question. Um, so I think it's a lot of things. Um, first I would say that so during this time frame I was working with a family business um you know making good money in and had prospects to make even more money but I wasn't happy like I was making money but I knew something again like as a young person when I realized living in suburbia that something was wrong like I knew something was wrong where I was making money and and it didn't get all of the feelings I was told I would get with that money. So still feeling very angsty and, and isolated. And like, this is not the direction I wanted to go. And I was fortunate enough to take a year off after high school to kind of figure out, I, I knew if I would have just jumped in. I probably would have either not gone and, and done the company full time or gone to like business school to further the company in in some sense. But I took a year off to coach my high school football team. I started volunteering at the mustard seed uh, emergency homeless shelter. And more than anything, I started to read about the world. So I read Everything from, um, you know, Nelson Mandela's biography to the situation that happened in the genocide in Rwanda to kind of everything in between. Really getting a sense of the horrible things that happen in the world and what people have done to fight against it. Um, So at that point, I was very inspired by by some of those, you know, activist leaders and thought, okay, I'm going to go to university for political science. To learn about how politics work, learn how it can execute change. But again, still a very young person, wasn't really sure what I was gonna do. And then in this time off, I read lots of books, and those books led me to want to go um, and do the whole volunteerism thing, you know, which I can definitely see problematic aspects to now. But at that point I was very excited to, you know, quote unquote help. So I ended up in Uganda where I spent a summer working at, a, at an orphanage, and we did some food security project, which in the whole scope of the volunteerism universe, I think was actually fairly helpful, but definitely recognize how an 18-year-old really shouldn't leave his country to go help someone else if they don't know what they're doing in their own country. In any case, when I was there, somebody had a book about humanitarian work that changed my life. Because even when I was in Uganda, I wasn't really sure if this was for me or what the future held. But I read this book about a humanitarian organization that intervened in emergencies. They provided medical care for folks who would otherwise go without due to conflict or or things like earthquakes or you know all the plethora of challenges that exist in the world. And for whatever reason, I said this is what i'm going to do and up until this day I have not looked sideways even 10 degrees i knew that helping folks in a non-political manner the humanitarian organization or the humanitarianism that i was attracted to was just helping people based on that they had a need so i didn't want to go in and tell a different culture how to live their lives or you know, plan the next 50 year cycle of what we're going to, you know, the, the country we're going to build. I was very interested in making a tangible difference in an immediate situation as a young anarchist or as a, as a person who wanted radical changes in the world to not actually go down that path and push for radical changes, but instead focus on here's a tangible problem I can solve right now. And I don't think there's a right path. I think for me, I needed something I could touch. I needed to see in this cycle, this three-month cycle, I can make a situation turn from A into B, and B helps more people than, than we did before. And so uh, essentially what I did is I went back home and I did all my research about this and similar organizations, and I was like, okay... I don't want to be a doctor because that's going to take too long. You know, I don't want to do admin because it sounds boring. Supply chain. Oh, I can do supply chain. Like, more or less, it was the same job as what I was doing in events. You know, warehousing, transport, getting things on time to the right place. You know, managing teams in a high-pressure environment. Very similar to what humanitarian work is. I wanted to be the team leader, but nobody shows up as the boss. You got to work your way up. And so I switched my degree into development studies, which allowed me to more understand um, the formerly colonized world and and what their realities are there. And then, yes, as you mentioned, I developed a skill set in logistics because what humanitarian work really says is it's great you want to help. But if you don't have a skill to actually help in the situation, stay home. And so I said, I'm going to be helpful in these situations. And so I learned how to do procurement and how to do warehousing and how to get things through customs and you know all of these potentially very boring things like inventory policies and and all that sort of stuff. But it really grounded my work. So anytime I I was learning about things like conflict or or why. Folks um, are in situations of poverty. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's because they were raped and pillaged and colonized um, by you know European countries. But learn more about it, and then learned a skill set where I could be useful and intervening in those situations. So yeah, I think at a young age, I knew what I wanted to do, and I chose distinctly. I'm not going to go the policy route and try to change the world. I want to be a good example of providing quality programs in emergency situations. And for me, I was okay with that because I said, you know, I know other amazing people are working on changing the the big picture. And for me, humanitarian work, when it's done properly, is such a beautiful example of how we should be. Somebody needs help, you help them it's obviously much more complex than that and it rarely works like that in real life and politics is always there. But humanitarian work is a very loud example of what that can look like. And as soon as I had my North star, I did everything like you said um, to get there. So I knew I needed X amount of work experience, X amount of degrees, experience skills. And due to you know, in in my family, there's two addictions. It's alcohol and work. So the men choose alcohol and the women choose work. Uh, again, gross overstatement, but, you know, not too bad. And I didn't want to choose alcohol. And so, you know, like my mother and like my grandmother before me, I became a workaholic. And I put myself through hell and... Got myself into a job, you know, five years earlier than anybody else would have. It came at a huge personal cost, and I would never do it again. And I, and I hope to raise children who would never even think to do it in the first place. So I'm grateful it got me where it did, and I'm grateful I've done all of these things I I have done before the age of thirty. But yeah, it, it wasn't all, you know, me helping people. It was you know, me being stressed about a million things and and just always on to the next project, on to the next thing.
1: What do you think it is about who you are as a person that enabled you to work this hard and accomplish these goals in the ways that you wanted to? Um, It seems like a rare thing to be able to have that level of work ethic And to go to such lengths to make the impacts that you want to make. I'm just wondering if you can point to like some part of your personality or something it is, something from your history that actually, yeah, just enabled you to go down this path.
0: I mean, there's definitely a lot to unpack in that idea. I think one, I was very disenchanted with my own culture and what was on offer for for me to do in that environment. I was very disenchanted with how the status quo was. I thought a lot of the problems were easier to solve in Canada and wanted to work elsewhere. And I think there's a narrative or a a character around the humanitarian worker, which is just undeniably sexy. It's you'd come in, you save the day, you rush out, you know. And I, I grew up watching the Justice League and you know wanted to be Batman. So I I think a lot of that thinking is so problematic and and do my best to kind of work against that, you know, now as a full-time professional in that field. But as a young person, it is exciting. You can you can be in charge of multi-million dollar budgets that you likely would never or five, it would take you five, 10 more years to be in charge of in Canada. You get to see the world and go places that no one else really gets to go or that tourists don't really go. You do get to help people in really messed up situations. Um, And again, if you set up a hospital, it's very easy to see you're helping versus there not being a hospital there um so you get involved in projects that there's a tangible need and more uh, you feel useful and i think i really thrived on feeling useful um i think i was missing community i was missing you know emotionally connected friendship i was missing you know a sense of cultural connection or sense of purpose in my life um I was missing good examples of what a life could be. Like I looked around at all the adults around me. I was like, yuck, I don't want to do any of this. And then I read a book that had adults that were doing something. I was like, wow, these people are doing something heroic, interesting, you know, helping people. It kind of just hit a lot of boxes for me. And I think I was just desperate for something to be meaningful. And this was I, I couldn't, especially at that point, ask for anything else more meaningful. And I threw myself into it the way I saw my mother or grandmother throw themselves into their work. I just did the same. And so my you know grandma worked in banking and my mom built her company. and I didn't want to do either of those things, but I was like, oh, I could put the same amount of hours into being the best humanitarian I possibly could be. And because I was not a very balanced person with friends, with community, with family that I cared about with other interests, this was the thing I cared about. And I did it. You know, I I put the blinders on and I ran as fast as I could in one direction. Hearing you talk about your childhood and, you know,
1: not having that care and support from your parents and then also having to be this caregiver for your sister and like step into responsibility that way I wonder if like responsibility became a really big theme of your life because there you didn't see that around you and you you were kind of a victim of a lack of responsibility in some respect both at like a personal level with your parents and what you grew up with but also as you said like with the society around you like society feels like it's not taking care of people um and like life would not feel this bad if you know people were at the wheel or like maybe there was more like a different type of responsibility maybe rooted in a like ideas and values of justice and um yeah and maybe like along those lines i'd be curious to hear for you like a does that resonate and then as a kind of bridge off of that like you mentioned um the reading this book and kind of this idea of like seeing these adults doing badass stuff and like doing something constructive and helpful. So that seems to be a kind of role model that's showing up. And I know, like, I feel like role models play such a big role in our lives, they kind of help us see the way forward and chart a path and Curious, like, what's coming up for you as I as I say those things in terms of your own experience or even just reflections on role models and how you started to see other role models that might have emerged that helped you step into who you want to become and what have those looked like throughout your life?
0: Yeah. So on responsibility, I highly identify with a call to be responsible um, and struggle when anybody falls short of what my idea of responsibility should be so that is something that has made me the best version of myself and also highlights some of the more you know thick headed parts of myself as well like so i have a complicated relationship with responsibility i'm also aware that as yeah, exactly. Like you said, like the the oldest sibling, a white male in the world. Like I have a sense of responsibility that no one would necessarily asked me to take. Um, but yes, I've always thought, if people just said what they did, what they said they were going to do, it would be a different world. And honestly, it felt that I don't think I am necessarily. Um, here's what I'll say: that I've I. Often notice that many people are uncomfortable stepping up in the leadership position because they don't want the responsibility. They don't want to be the one who signed off on the decision and then that come back and they get in trouble for it, or, or whatever it is, or the pressure of having to do that. I have never felt that. I've, again, I think it comes from working from a young age, leading people from a young age, you know, helping raise a young person from a young age. Responsibility is something I've always taken on, and the status quo is never okay. I've never been in a workplace and been like, well, maybe we could just leave it how it is. No, like I'm always saying, and especially when I was younger, maybe in a harsher way than I now come across, but saying, like, this is bullshit. Like, how can we possibly accept that this is how we do this? I've always been somebody who will laser focus on whatever it is. And so, Focusing on best value for our um, client, what does that look like? And why are we deviating from that? So, if we're wasting money on something, for me, I'd always be the one highlighting that or saying, you know, this is inefficient. How do we fix this? Or this way of talking about it doesn't make any sense. Or the system we're using, you know, is broken. And so let's get a new one because it's worth the investment because it will make the difference in the long term. So, I've always felt Called to responsibility. And yeah, in a lot of ways, it's been wonderful because I've made big differences and I've pushed big changes by building coalitions. And, you know, everybody, I can tell when a room feels a way, and I'll just be the one to say, hey, does everyone feel this way? Okay, let's go. Like, and getting folks to head in that direction. It's also had a, a, you know, a downside when I feel friends or family or coworkers are shirking their responsibility. It's almost it's almost like triggering. Like if somebody, even if somebody is late, for me it's like, oh, this person's so irresponsible. How dare they waste my time? Like, like and then, you know, that kind of that's my thought. So yeah, I definitely can relate to responsibility as a as a concept and i have tried to not hold on to it in the same ways. Like I still feel called to make change, but I try to do that through Coalition building much more than maybe I did before, um, so it might take longer. But I'd rather everyone come with me than me lead a change, but be very lonely in that process. And then, yeah, that role model conversation—I could talk about that all day. I all I wanted in the world was one adult who cared about me and showed up, and had you know many you know decent human beings around me, decent adults but not any that were able to show up in the way that, you know, I needed as a young person. And I've always had a lot of resentment for that. I feel like I had to teach myself everything. And I think that ties into my internal story. Like I have always thought of myself as a mule. Like it's it's not because I'm smarter than other people. It's not because I'm more charming or more handsome. Like, of course I have many privileges and and have many natural competencies, but I'm just willing to work harder than most people. And so uh, again, that's because that's the role models I had. I either had, I could be a drunk or I could be a workaholic, you know, and I chose to be a workaholic and I definitely wish I had role models that said, you know, you can have passion in life and you can work hard on things, but you know, community and friendship and family and well-being and all these other things are also important. And it's really hard to find good role models like that because even you're right, I read that book about, you know, cool doctors doing surgery, you know, after some civil war, amazing. But then you work in that field and you start to look at those adults. And again, I was noticing, and this maybe kind of brings us to to how I got to where I am today working in that field for a few years you look at the other people who are older than you who've maybe been around longer and I didn't want to become them you know they worked in the field for so long that all they had was their war stories they had no family no community to go back to and they just jumped around the world and you know if that's your life amazing if you're choosing that great but I do think you know, it's not a vision of health, I would say. Um, and so, yeah, I think I I've always been very hungry for role models. And don't get me wrong, I've met amazing people, and I've learned a bit from each of them. But even to this day, I'd never felt like I had a like an older sibling that could walk me through. And again, circling back to the responsibility, have felt the. I'll say obligation, because it hasn't been a a fun thing, but the obligation to make myself a good role model for other people, my colleagues, my teams, you know, my friends, my sister, whoever, like, I do strive in all of my relationships to be a good role model for folks. And that gets back into where I don't want to have that responsibility all the time. And I need to kind of play with that. Like, when do I need to be a good role model? And when can I be a little bit more realistic version of of who I am? Um, But yeah, that's actually how I I decided to find a little bit more of a balance is I saw what I would look like in 10 years and I was getting a little bit scared. Can you paint that
1: picture a little bit about like what you saw in those people who had been around um, that sector for a long time?
0: They were just lonely. They were lonely and they, could not relate to anything else but that workaholic, save-the-world energy. Um, And I mean, these people are brilliant. These people are the coolest badasses you've ever met, have been everywhere, have done everything. Um, But yeah, I just was realizing I was feeling lonely and disconnected from my friends, and, and it's hard to maintain... Connection with your family, connection with your friends, but it's also hard to build community because everyone's in and out and flying around and going to the next crisis. And, yeah, your romantic life is a series of short interactions. Not for everybody, but it's very difficult to, to have close romantic relationships.
1: And why is that? Can you paint a picture of that lifestyle a little bit? And maybe paint a little bit of a picture of how you ended up into there. So you went through... Your undergraduate program you were doing this logistics certificate then what and what did the next few years look like
0: then i did a master's degree in france which was essentially boot camp and let's see who dies and see who survives sort of graduate experience and after that i worked um, as a humanitarian in Jordan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Pakistan, and Sierra Leone, before I moved to Canada, moved back to Canada to do emergency management here. So, yeah, like essentially you're going around the world doing, I was doing medical projects. So I was doing the logistics for setting up and maintaining hospitals and clinics, you know, depending on the context, like in Jordan. We were dealing with the Syrian refugees who left the Civil War and were in Jordan. So you have hundreds of thousands of people living in camps. So we did food, water, waste management. In Congo, there was civil conflict. So we had a sexual health project, emergency surgery hospital, and malnutrition hospitals and clinics. In Pakistan, we were working a five hundred bed hospital on the border of Afghanistan, doing everything you know from regular surgery to labor and delivery, and a hepatitis C project as well. In Sierra Leone, we were working on maternal and under five health care, folks who are underserved for their their basic health needs. So yeah, like again, you're doing amazing things. The work is exceptionally fulfilling. And I was working in supply chain and at that time, so everything the patient used, everything the nurses touched, every piece of paper the admin staff used came through my department. And that was a really cool feeling that this hospital bed, that scalpel, you know, the dressing gown the nurses wearing, the medicine we're giving the patient is there because we got it there. And that was really cool. But yeah, the humanitarian sector does not encourage you to stay in one place. Again, they're selling a, a sexy lifestyle where you get to travel the world. So they move you around a lot. You generally spend a year or you know six months to a year in a place, but then you move. And so it leads to a situation where people are always coming and going. The, the expats, um, again getting into you know how problematic things can be like most of these projects are led by foreigners not local people and you know that's exceptionally complex and and largely problematic but yeah you might make a, an amazing connection with an amazing human being but chances are either you or them are leaving in the next few months and so it just became a bit tiring in that sense and so i was feeling that i adored my work but every other battery was empty you know in terms of meaningful relationships or connections or or a sense of place even like i was from calgary but sort of hated it and i was seeing cool places around the world but it wasn't my home i wasn't living there permanently and so yeah like covid made me stay in one place i got grounded in canada i took a job you know doing humanitarian work based out of canada both for overseas and for the the local, you know, domestic situation, which for me was a lovely, you know, balance to be able to do both. Take that skill set that I had learned elsewhere and, and apply it to my own country was very meaningful. And now that's where I am. I am based out of Ottawa. I work full time as a humanitarian. Nine to five, I, I work for emergencies in Ontario, but I'm privileged enough to be able to deploy after you know major earthquakes or epidemic outbreaks with the field hospital, and yeah, now I can be more of an activist and I can have friendship and I can you know hopefully build a family one day and things like that. So for myself, wanted more balance and and I've tried to build that a little bit um, the last few years.
1: Going back to the there's kind of this like undercurrent of learning that goes along with taking responsibility taking action. What are some of those pivotal moments in your life that you can look back on that really provided clarity on what maybe was missing or what you would come to value today that you didn't originally account for? Like what were some of the big things you had to learn and how did you learn them?
0: I think I, like circling back to the way I introduced like how I see a lot of activism is pointing out, you know, we said this is important, what are we actually doing? I think in a lot of ways, that's been my experience with everything is, okay, we've said family is important to us, but who is actually treating their family very well? Or who is actually showing up? We say friendship is important. Well, who's actually being a good friend around us? And so I think just seeing all of those examples of what was missing, it wasn't good enough for me. And I, I've been very good at this my whole life is, setting scope. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And I do not say something if I if I don't have the space in my calendar to do it. For me, like that's a big thing in my life. If it's not in your calendar, it's not actually important to you. And so I, I've just tried to put things in my calendar that I say are important to me. You know, I said that being a good friend is important to me. And so I made sure I reached out to the people who I wanted to be friends with and made sure that I knew that they, that they knew, sorry, that I cared about them. I wanted to be a good example of what a man could be in the world to my other friends and to my sister and, and people like that. And so I, I went to therapy cause I wasn't struggling with my mental health and didn't have a lot of good examples. And I knew I didn't have a lot of good examples. So I I said, okay, I want to be a good example for myself. I'm noticing that this particular way I'm speaking to myself or this particular way I'm treating myself is not very good. What are avenues I can explore to, to better that? So I think I've always had a growth mindset. I've definitely always been future focused that, you know, okay, I'm happy with these things about who I am and my life today, but, you know, two years from now, I'm kind of hoping I have improvements or growth in whatever area it is. And then very much that project management core of, uh, of myself kicks into gear, clarifying what are the values I actually care about and then the hard work to do it. You know? So if I publicly say, Mental health is important and I value it, but then work myself to death because I don't know how to regulate my emotions otherwise. Maybe not a good example. Maybe I should explore and work on that. Or if I've said, like, I think uh, capitalism is messed up, like, what am I doing to, to, to be, you know, quote unquote, anti capitalist? And for me, that was like, okay, for me, the opposite of capitalism is close community. And I was struggling to build community be not having a geography where I was sent like based out of. And so I looked at that and said, okay, like maybe settling down in one place can help me live this value a little bit more. So there's honestly, again, I don't, I don't really feel that there's a silver bullet, but clarifying the scope of what's important to you, putting it in your calendar and doing it. And if it's not important to you or it is important but you're not going to actually do it just say that like there's a million things that are important to me that i don't put any time into and i think like again the conversation about being an activist who's changing the way the world works or encouraging abolition or things like that those are amazing and i don't put any time into it you know i might read a book or something but that's about my limit to to that that realm of activism, and I'm okay with that. I sleep fine with that. There's a there's a many things in life you can care about. There's many things you can do and be, and I just want to live authentically to the the very small finite amount of things I've said I was going to do. Do them well. I am going to be a good friend for those that I've chosen to be a friend with. I'm going to be a great family member for the family members that. You know, I feel show up and we work well. I'm going to be an excellent humanitarian worker, um, a dedicated activist. Actually, I think a good example of this, something I've been doing recently, I have this whiteboard in my office and I, in each, uh, so there's five things on the whiteboard. There's my community, there's myself, there's the planet, there's my work and there's my volunteering. And on the whiteboard, I write what I'm doing for those five things that month and check them off as I do it. And for me, it's that internal accountability, that responsibility. It's it's showing I'm a good role model. I've said these five things are important, so I'm going to do it. And if this other, you know, sixth thing comes out of nowhere, I will make a decision. Okay, do I have space for this or not? And if I don't, to not feel bad about it and move on. You know, I'm not going to be a rock star, even though I love music. That's okay. I'm not going to dream about it. I'm not going to feel bad about it. It's not important. And I'm also, when you kind of put it in that way, it really sets the scope. Like, okay, I care about the environment, but I have four other things on my whiteboard I care about. So what can I actually do this month that's helpful for it? And, you know, the rest, just let it go. You can't do everything. That's okay. So Yeah, I would say if I have any piece of advice, that would be it. Set what's actually important to you. What are you doing this month to do it? Time flies so fast. If you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to do it. Clearly, structure and
1: process is a major strength of yours. And you mentioned this word rigid. In so many ways, this conversation is geared very much towards your instrumentalist thinking. Like, it's very practical, very grounded. I'm curious, have you tried to like embrace other ways of being in certain circumstances and what and what does that look like?
0: Um, yeah, great question. Uh, I feel you're right. The sort of logistics project management is very much a core of who I am and how I approach the world and fully recognize that, you know the cultural aspect of that or or you know, my own experience of in the body that I live in, like why I think that way. But yes, I would say there are limitations to that. And it's not something that works in every context. You know, being hyper-focused on deliverables and, and timelines and blah, blah, can be really problematic and be very harmful um, in, in many ways, especially if you forget the people around those things. And so something I've been trying to do in the last few years is you know come to terms I've really done very well in that way of thinking you know there's always room for improvement I could be a better project manager I could be a better logistician but the amount of extra work to get a unit increase in in value or production in that line isn't really worth it anymore like sure I could get an MBA but do I really need it honestly no like I know enough to function very well but in other areas you know emotional literacy community building spirituality creativity well there's lots of low-hanging fruit for me like again it kind of circles back to my thinking as a, a project manager but per unit of effort i can get you know one increase in my project management skills or 10 increases in my emotional literacy skills and so yeah like i went to therapy and and did that for for 2 years i uh set up a peer support group with uh, the masculinity under construction um, club that i'm a part of to have space for for men to express their feelings and deal with the difficulties of the world and And then increase our toolkit of the ways we can deal with these sorts of things. I have tried to learn more about how other people see and interact with the world, including the Anishinaabe culture here in Ottawa, and tried to embody, again, those values. So if I say I value other ways of looking at the world and I recognize how harmful my own culture has been, to then, okay, so you know, rigid project management. Yeah, it has a pretty close connection with colonialism. And so am I unpacking that at all? or Am I exploring that at all? So I would say I'm a novice in that journey. But compared to three years ago, my emotional literacy has skyrocketed. I can understand and express my feelings, which as a man, I feel I puts me in the, you know, top 10 percentile of You know, it's embarrassing, but it's true. Not many of us can say how we're feeling and why and, like, communicate that in a healthy way. Obviously not an expert at it, but getting in the right direction. And, and yeah, I've been trying to learn from people who've had different lives than me and just trying to create more space for it. Like, do I really need to read another book about humanitarianism or conflict or, or whatever? Like, not really. Should I read more books about pleasure activism or how the queer community sees and engage with the world? Like, yeah, I have a lot to learn in that area. Or how, um, just what community can mean. Allowing myself a little bit more permission to be creative or to see possibility or to dream. Like, I think I'm a very lousy dreamer. And I think maybe that's why I turn towards the tangible project-driven side of things like I chose to be a logistician in emergency situations instead of a abolition activist and I think it's because I'm a very lousy dreamer and so that's an area of my life that I would like to explore more to leave more room for world building and possibility creation and I'm trying looking and exploring different avenues for that and trying to learn from different people. And, but yeah, I would say I, I'm not doing it super well and maybe that's something I need to put more in my calendar, you know, like room for, for that or, or just room that is empty and leave it empty and allow that to, to use that space to meditate or, or to draw or just do nothing and not, punish myself for doing nothing, you know mm-hmm. so you've been in ottawa for a few years now and
1: i know you you're feeling more settled there and have all these interesting connections i'd just be curious to hear you talk about how has being in ottawa helped you explore new things and what are some of the joyous things in your life right now and how are those rooted in the space that you've made yourself in ottawa
0: yeah i'm honestly quite proud of the community I've helped foster and and the growth I've had by staying in one place. You know, maybe the upside of COVID forcing me to do that. The first two year and a half, two years were tough, obviously, in Ottawa, because it was full on lockdown, couldn't really get out there or anything. But I planted seeds. So I, I joined this human rights organization, and I joined that men's group But it was still virtual and, you know, not really where it was. But since things have opened up uh, in the last year, year and a half, I've been able to, to explore. So, yeah, there's the Masculinity Under Construction, which is an amazing group that has sort of different levels for people to get involved with. So there's book clubs. One of the best ones I recommend is The Will to Change by Bell Hooks, which really explores the patriarchy and its impact on men. But we read books about like, you know, why men cheat, things like that. So very interesting. There's also just the social element where someone will pull together a brunch or a dinner and you kind of just chat among lots minded people. We have workshops where we explore like your relationship with your father or how to be accountable or, you know, how to be a good friend as a man or, or how to encourage consent in your sex life, things like that. And then, yeah, the peer support group. I meet with four other men every two weeks, and we walk each other through the hard parts of life. It's the best thing I've ever been a part of. It's amazing. I've also had an opportunity to explore foraging and gardening, which has been an absolute game changer in my life. I've always highly valued ecology and the natural world, but very much from an ivory tower, like, yes, this is very cool, but it's, you know, over there. Whereas getting your hands dirty, learning what mushrooms are safe to eat or how to make your own jam or growing carrots and then giving them to all your friends in like pickle jars for them to eat over the winter, like that is exceptionally satisfying. And it has really brought a lot of of joy to my life. Like I'm currently growing tomatoes in my hydroponic set. Every day I see them and and it's just awesome. It brings wonder to my life. I also do vermi composting. So I have my worms who eat all my, you know, leftover vegetables or whatever. And something about raising worms is, it just, you know, it's very much speaks to me. I've been able to cultivate friendship. You know, I've always had very good friends. But one, Calgary is a hard city to have friends in because everyone's so far. And two... A lot of my friends left Calgary and so weren't in the same place anyways. But I've cultivated close friendships here and that's been really nice to build friendships around different interests or, you know, something that I love to do is celebrate the solstice and equinox. So, you know, this Wednesday, actually, the, the 21st of December, the sun will come back. And I think that that is such a beautiful time to take a minute to reflect on surviving the darkness and looking forward to the future. And, you know, no matter what, same thing when it's the brightest day in the year in July, like we've, now it's going to start getting darker. What does that mean for the next three months or four months or or whatever period is useful for you to think about? So I bring together a potluck every quarter where all my friends and whoever they want to invite, you know, bring some food. We gather, we chat, we socialize and, my, my current role is about emergency management in Eastern Ontario. And it's really humbling and lovely to, to apply all the skills and the disposition I've developed the last few years and apply it for my own community. You know, unlike the 18 year old Brandon working overseas in a job he probably couldn't have got back in Canada. Like I do humanitarian work in Canada as an expert in Canada, and when I go overseas, it's because I've been invited in by that local um, country to go and do it because I have a skill set that they value, um, and so that feels you know incredible. Pulling together these activist groups—that's how I see my role as a network builder in activism in the activism space—has been really fulfilling. And again, like I started during the pandemic, so you're doing boring. Things in the background, like talking to 100 people or, you know, building a website or whatever it is. But now we're up and running. And we just recently had a, an event at a local coffee shop and got like 400 letters written to free activists around the world. And like that is really cool. Like taking the geography, but not forgetting my interest for, you know, justice, you know, all over the world. Not just not just in Canada. Getting to live with my sister, you know. My dear friends, such as yourself, coming to visit me you know, over the summer and just having a, an awesome time and getting to show off uh, what an incredible area this is. You know, I really like. I love where I live. It has everything I want. All the the amenities that speak to me, like bike paths and access to nature. And it's not an overwhelming city. You know, I don't really like skyscrapers. I don't really like driving. Um, so this place works really well for me. And uh, yeah, honestly, like I feel very privileged and very excited about my day-to-day life um, and feel that I've been able to manage this transition. You know, I'm no longer at 10 out of 10 content in my my working life. I'm at like an 8 out of 10, but everything else has jumped up from zero to, you know, higher numbers, you know, whatever that's looking like. And so for me, the trade-off was worth it. And I feel much more well-balanced and 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 I guess speaking, I think I really liked your point of like how do you drive yourself forward? And I think a big part of me always said, I will be a good dad. Even though I didn't have a good dad, even though I never saw a good example of a good dad, that sort of idea of The archetype of a good dad and not like the bullshit, like leader of the family or no, I don't care about that. Like I want to be an emotionally present and capable father, you know, like and I think. I'm setting myself up to do that well, whereas before I wasn't. So yeah, I think that brings me a lot of happiness and I'm excited to, to see that growth continue and, and hopefully just be a happier, healthier person. And something that's really kind of like a resonating theme the last few years that I've been realizing is it's not the amount of change that you can do in a short amount of time, but it's the amount of positive change your network can do over the whole your whole lifetime. I don't see what I accomplish in the next year as the important thing, like I used to, you know, working really hard to get the fancy job, do the fancy things. But I more think, what can my network and myself do in the next 60 years? So if I have more time to invest in my sister, she'll be a better friend. She'll be a better community nurse. If I have more time to invest in my friends you know they're going to do amazing things in their own life and i will take a bit of that credit you know if if my friend does something amazing and i was part of their life like i'm gonna say oh i i did 10 percent of that whatever like it's it's not about the number but you get the sense that i mean like i think it's much more powerful to be a part of the big picture than it is to try to do everything yourself And, and i think maybe that's A narrative that I'm learning. I don't want to be the white savior, hero of the story. I don't want to be Batman, but I want to be building community and helping us define what we want to do and then doing it. So
1: what is that dream that you have for
0: yourself right now?
1: Like you mentioned, you're starting to dream a little bit more and practice that. And when you think about the future, what are you seeing for yourself or what are the things that matter to you as you like envision a life for yourself over the next few decades?
0: I would like to realize, you know, the anarchist dream of a community that lives in solidarity. So in the next few years, I think it would be super rad to continue to cultivate community. I would like to live in some sense of co-housing or community living or At least a lot of people I really care about in the same neighborhood who tangibly support one another. I can be maybe a bit over the top, but I tell my friends, like, if you're not interested in retiring with me, I'm not, like, I don't really have space for you. Like, I care about friends who want to build a life together. If in five years I lived in co-housing with progressive, amazing humans that I learned from. I had young people in my life, you know, started a family, again, open to many ways of doing that, whether co-parenting or or whatever, I think that would be really cool. I love the idea of living our values. So if, if we're saying we're green, are we green in our own lives? Like, where can we cut, like, are we generating our own electricity? Are we cutting down on what we consume? Are we growing and repairing the things that we need in our own lives? I would like to do a lot more of that. And I'd like to continue to foster communities ready to fight against fascists. Um, I think there's a lot of scary things in the world. And there's a lot of risk that, in my opinion, we are not currently, we don't have the mental models to respond to very well or the structures to to respond to um, complex problems, Um and so I want to focus on a scale that I can live my values, um, and that's at the community level. So I'm I'm really excited to build community and friendship, and yeah, have lots of love and and family and connection in my life, and continue to do good things in the world, like bring all those people together that have those values, and do whatever I can to support them uh, in their connected journey. And last question. What is our connection and how do you feel about it? Our connection is we are co-authoring beautiful lives. You're my yeah, yeah, Kev, you're my brother, you're my my friend, soulmate, or whatever you want to call that. I feel what we have grown a lot together in the, the last whatever decade that we've known each other. And we've acted as a sounding board and a friendly conversation to help us advance who we want to be and how we want to carry out our, our lives in the world. And I'm exceptionally grateful for our friendship.
1: I am too. And yeah. Thank you for being my first guest on this new project called Connected Journeys. You are one of my favorite people, someone I cherish and am inspired by all the time. And I'm so glad to have heard more of your story and to have had the chance to share it with others. I appreciate you doing this with me today.
0: Yeah, I love you Kev, this is great. Uh, yeah, no, this was really nice, and I, uh, I'm excited to hear all of uh, the other, you know, journeys that you're connected with, and, and how they all fit into uh, the part of the bigger whole. I I know that you surround yourself with incredible people, um, and I'm happy to be one of them.